This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris, and today we have two special guests that have been with us many times before, Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland. They're founders of Keystone CPA. Having helped thousands of investors across the U.S. to save on taxes, Matt McFarland and Amanda Hahn, as both tax strategists and real estate investors, Amanda and Matt combine their passion for real estate investing with their expertise and knowledge in tax strategies. Their goal is to help investors with strategies designed to supercharge their wealth building using entity structuring, self-directed investing, and income offset opportunities to keep more of what they make. Amanda and Matt's highly rated book, Tax Strategies for Savvy Real Estate Investor, is amongst Amazon's top seller list. They also frequent uh, are frequent contributors, speakers, and educators to some of the nation's top investment and self-directed IRA companies. Their cutting-edge tax, tax strategies have been featured in prominent publications, including Money Magazine, Realtor.com, and AllBusiness.com. Matt and Amanda were speakers at Talks at Google that features influential thinkers and creators. They also have appeared in CB, uh, CNBC's Smart Money Talk radio, as well as Bigger Pocket podcasts. Matt and Amanda specialize in bringing top-notch tax-saving strategies that are traditionally only available to high-net-worth clients to to everyday investors nationwide. They both have experience working for big C CPA firms, specializing in real estate and high net worth individual specialty groups. Amanda is a graduate of UNLV and Matt is a graduate of UCLA with a master's degree from USC. Both of them are certified by the California State Board of Accountancy and are members of the prestigious American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Ah, that has grown over the years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, sorry about that. that out. Where did you Welcome. find that bio? <laughs> Welcome, you guys. That's funny. Um, I'm just curious. What's the mood of the taxpayer this year, uh, as compared to the past? The mood of the taxpayer. Um, gosh, I don't know. For this past tax season, I think pretty good. Um, you know, we've been in arms of last year about all the pending tax changes that may or may not have happened, you know, may or may not happen in 2021. And ultimately, uh, none of those proposed changes became reality. That's so right. Somewhat you know, celebratory. Was, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? when I was, to, in pre preparation for this, I was like, okay, all the tax changes for 19 or 2021, uh, pretty, pretty not, not a very long <laughs> list, but Okay. I want to ask this. I would think most of your clients own their own home. Would that be accurate? Yeah, probably a high, yeah, a high percentage for sure. Okay. I wonder if the mood would be different if you were a renter, because if you have, if you have goodies, if you have assets then you probably enjoyed, you know, the last uh, year and a half extremely well. And if you're on the other side of that, you probably didn't would be my guess. But I, I just wondered what your clientele basically, you know, how they, how they had, uh, how their mood was. Mm -hmm. I know Susie Levis, who does taxes in, in Riverside, you know, it was interesting, you know, she could take temperature like 2006, everybody was refining their home twice a year. And it was, it was just a, 
a bird's eye view of a, what was going on. So yeah, most of us are pretty happy that nothing dreadful happened. But I, th I think it's also um, probably also depends on whether the person happened to have to pay taxes for the April 15th deadline or not. Right. So, right. you know, we have a lot of clients that extend their tax returns are waiting on K1s waiting for different things. Uh, but, you know, a lot of our clients file their returns and, you know, clients pay their, pay their extension taxes due as well. So I, to, to some extent, for sure, there's a lot of people that actually had bounced back years after COVID and they, you know, weren't necessarily expecting that for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though no tax changes happened per se, I think some of them were still kind of, you know, not quite expecting what was uh, coming, you know. I do think last year, um, 2021 was year of the refi. Like you said, you know, the homeowners, the investors, um, gosh, I, the vast majority of our clients had refinances on homes, on rentals, you know, pulled cash out. Um, so that was good. I, I, it, would also, it was also the year of 1031 exchanges, too. Uh, we probably did more 1031 exchange calculations than, uh, you know, most recent previous years as well. Um, just people moving their assets, you know, into other real estate. So, yeah, it's funny. We, we kind of joke, um, you know, in the midst of tax time, we're saying, hey, for some of our newer staff, you know, which tax returns can we give to them, right? The easier returns. Mm -hmm. And we almost couldn't find any. There were no easy returns. Mm -hmm. Everybody had refinances, pulling from one property and reinvesting in another. Everyone had 1031 exchange where you sold one California, bought, you know, five Florida properties. So no, no real simple returns for this past year. You know, what's interesting about what you said. So you talked to them about them refining, let's say their rentals. Did a lot of people in the last couple of years refi their residents. And do you think that will alter their selling habits going forward? If you have a two or 3% mortgage in place, what would be the motivation to get a five or 6% one going forward? Do you think that'll make people retain their home maybe longer than they thought they would? Yeah, I think it'll definitely play into the conversation and the decision-making process for sure. Right. Um, now we had clients refine their primaries to, you know, use the money for rental properties. We, you know, you know, some clients are refining rentals and using that money to buy rentals or doing improvements on whatever, you know, so it's, it worked both ways. They were just, you know, people were tapping into the equity they'd built up over the last year and a half. Um, so yeah, a lot of money was moving last year for sure. In your client base, um, according to California Association of Realtors, about 33% of sellers left the state, which is really a high number in percentage to me. Your client base, did they at what what percentage sold and did they stick around? Um, I mean, we haven't ran the numbers to see what percentage, but a noticeable percentage, I would say. Uh, last year, as well as this year, um, we have a lot of clients who retired, right, that don't need to be in California anymore. So moving out of states. We also have a lot of clients in the tech industry. Um, a lot of them, you know, Northern California, mm -hmm. who no longer needed to be here because their employers didn't require that anymore. So, um, yeah, I don't know the actual percentage, but definitely noticeable. And, you know, I would ask them because, you know, we're still in California. So I always ask them, like, do you miss it? You know, what do you miss about California? Most people say they don't miss California, <laughs> which makes me sad. But, <laughs> but I guess that's a good thing. You know, they, they, they like wherever they've moved to. They miss the tax bill. That's what they miss. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't miss the tax, right? <laughs> 
just for fun, I have a presentation tomorrow, but so I had to calculate U-Haul costs. And I, I'm not going to remember that exactly, but this is U-Haul going from San Jose to Austin. So okay. the tech, the tech world. Okay. So San Jose to Austin is approximately $9,500. The reverse wow. trip is about $1,400. Wow. So. Sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to kind of start off with a worst case scenario tax bill. So I make my money self-employed, let's say. And I, I make more than the maximum for federal and state numbers. So I'm going to get taxed as much as there, as it's possible. So what is my tax rate? I'm just curious. So if I, if I am self-employed, I pay social security up to what amount? Social security pay up to approximately $140,000. Okay. It does change every, change every year a little bit, but yeah. And the percentage of that is about what? Uh, it's 15.3%. Okay. But only for the first 140. Yeah. And then after that, it's only like, you know, 2.9%. So call it 3%. Now, why do you say that? Is that, is that have to do with Medicare? Yeah. So after 140, the Medicare, Medicare taxes, you know, basically unlimited self-employed earnings. Right. Okay. And then California's top rate is? Uh, if you make, I believe, over a million bucks, you're, you're taxed at 13.3%. Okay. And the federal is what, 30? Currently, it's 37% for the okay. highest rate. All right. But that's only for after 500 and some thousand. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, approximately. Okay. All right. I just wanted to look at those numbers. That's a big let, number. Let, let, that, let that sit in. <laughs> let, me, let me not earn money in that category, please. <laughs> which is, which is kind of amazing. We have, we have some tools that allow us to not do that. So that's, that's nice that those still exist. And so some of what we'll talk about is uh, what's maybe next. Cause there's a lot of, there's always been a lot of talk about what to tax um, next for people that have assets and wealth, but they haven't gotten around to it yet. So uh, let me just ask a couple questions about the state of California, then we'll leave that. Um, Social Security, I've not uh, taken a Social Security yet, but I have to in November because I'm 70. Is that taxed? I'm not in California, but if I was, was that going to be taxed by the state of California? Uh, no, the state of California doesn't tax that. So That's cool. Um, yeah, the IRS does, obviously, but the state of California does not. Okay. I didn't know that. That's good. Um, is the capital gain tax in California different than regular earnings or is it the same? Uh, same for California. California doesn't have any special capital gains rates. So you're just going to pay whatever your marginal California tax bracket is on that. Okay. So no benefit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so what are the changes that actually occurred in 2021? This is going to be a very boring, small list. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it actually is. It's um, trying to think back, you know, we were so inundated with the CARES Act and COVID and everything that, that there were so many changes happening in that 2020, right? That 2021 had a, a, had a few things, but nothing, nothing major because it was always the threat of what's coming. What are they going to change? And they just didn't get around to changing it for 2021. Um, I know that, you know, the CARES Act or the, it was the American Rescue Plan, one of those, they, they made... Uh, 
a lot of student loan forgiveness to be tax free. So that was kind of new for 2021. Uh, we saw that affect some taxpayers, some of our taxpayers. Um, trying to think of their big picture stuff that there, yeah. there virtually isn't any. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's the only one that comes to mind off the top of my head, but when you have a retirement account, you know, that's, I think at 72, you're supposed to start withdrawing and then they kind of, um, pause that because of the downturn of the stock market and everything, people having to force sell assets that were sort of way below where they were. Did that continue or has that been reenacted where you have to take, you have to take the income? Yeah, that was that was brought back into play. So it's it's back, you know, reenacted. So you do have to start taking your required minimum distributions. Um, they did change that age, as you noted, from 70 and a half to 72. I believe, you know, in the past year, there's been some talk about extending that to 75. But I don't know, if, you know, whether or not that gets added back or not, you know, who knows, obviously, but, but currently, it's 72 years old, and you do have to take start taking RMDs again. You know, what's interesting about that, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at the chart of how that progresses. But if you think about life expectancy, uh, maybe we're at what, at 82 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you think if you start at 72, you'd be taking 10% of whatever it is. Yeah. Right. It's nothing close to that. No, it's they, I think it works out like it pushes, pushes you into your nineties for sure. Right. If I, no, it's a hundred, 104. <laughs> okay, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Last time I checked, I, w- I was looking at it cause I'm thinking again, I'm 70. So I think, okay, well, I've got to do some of this. And then I saw the amount I had to take, which was basically going to be the interest on what I get. So it's not really a withdrawal of anything. It's just, that was funny. And then yeah. it kind of progresses, but it went past a hundred. So I just thought, okay, well, that's. Well, I don't know. I just saw, I just saw a headline recently that the world's oldest person at 119 just passed away. So maybe the IRS knows more than you do. I don't know. <laughs> if he was on social security, man, he made like, out. Quite a lifetime, right? Yeah. Uh, twice. Yeah. Literally almost twice the age. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some of the things that are being contemplated. Are they going to get resurrected, you know, and, or is this an election year? We'll probably have nothing happen again. So what, <laughs> what's on the list and what do you think has a chance to change the game? I like how you use the word resurrected because it definitely feels like that, you know, um, when the original proposals that came out in 2021, um, we thought they were sort of gone for good because they were eventually removed. But now with the, 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 you know, 2023 budget, um, a lot of the previous proposals look to be back again in the original format. So, um, you know, increasing the top, income tax bracket to 39.6%. And that's for single taxpayers making $400,000 or more. And we still have that marriage penalty, which for married people, the highest bracket kicks in at 450 um, instead of, you know, like a a number like 800,000 or something like that. So that's almost exactly the same as what was in the previous proposal. Um, capital gains, I think that was also, you know, same, uh, same as the previous proposal, capital gains, qualified dividends for those people making over a million dollars of taxable income, uh, to effectively tax that at 37%. 
um, instead wow. of the you know twenty percent. Well, I, I, I probably actually thirty nine point six if they go out if they yeah. change the rate, right? So yeah. Um, so basically, doing away with the preferential capital gains rate for the it's for the amount in excess of a million dollars, but still, you know, it's it's changing. That could the be game. one house in California. Yeah, I mean, it's changing the game, right? It's going to change the numbers significantly. Well, what do you think the reaction of your client would be? Just say, well, we're not selling. Is that what that? Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, I think it's a give and take, right? It's, there's one, there's one avenue where it's like, I'm just going to hold it longer because the exit cost is going to be a lot more. Right. Right. Um, or it's going to people who are making over a million dollars, it might encourage more short-term trading because the incentive to hold things longer than a year is going to be gone. Right. Right. So I think it just depends on, you know, what the situation calls for. Yeah. Oh. And then people might accelerate some sales into this year too, right? If we, if it's looking like this change will, will be in effect January 1st, 2023, you might see a lot more movement before the end of the year, just for people to lock in that 20%. That, that is an interesting point, actually, because some of the stuff, everything we're hearing, you know, some of it is proposed to take a place January 1st, 2023, assuming it, you know, passes between now and then. And some of it actually may be effective as soon as the law is passed. So like we've heard, we've heard the capital gains might be January 1st, but we've also heard that it might be effective. That might be the one that's once the law is passed, signed by the president, it's effective that same day. So, you know, the word, retro, you the word retroactive hasn't come up, has it? Uh, not so much, but. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, uh, but also, you know, before there was um, talks of 1031 exchange, right, being yeah. eliminated, you know, repealed or limited. And so we all celebrated when that seemed to have gone away. And now that's also resurrected as part of the, the budget uh, proposal to cap that per year per taxpayer to $500,000. So, you know, you can basically... Yeah, 500 for single, right? And, and a million, and a million for married. Yeah. So if you sold a building, you had, you know, $700,000 worth of gain, you could still defer 500,000 via a 1031 exchange, but then you you would have to pay taxes on the excess, right? And the, the remainder 200,000, it would be taxable. So I think that's something that could really impact investors' decisions on um, when to sell you know, when to sell maybe 1031 before the end of the year yeah. with, before there's limits or maybe just not doing it. You know, if you have a large gain that, you know, you can't sell, P, you know, part of a property, right. Part of a building, then they might be more, um, you know, open to keeping the property and just doing refinances to pull out the equity. Okay. Um, what about the, the going after the existing wealth? A wealth tax is that is that something that's yeah I think that's probably one of his that's probably one of his biggest ticket items is he's looking to implement this kind of yeah minimum minimum tax on wealthy people you know you can call it a net worth tax you can call it just this minimum tax but basically people that it kicks in once somebody has a net worth of a hundred million dollars or more so you know maybe that doesn't apply to obviously a lot of people but it would apply to enough people that they're contemplating passing the law obviously. Mm -hmm. um, what I think was so interesting is they they called it a billionaire's tax, but yeah. like Matt said, it's only you know it, it's not on billionaires; it's on people with a hundred million or more in uh, net worth. And I think that's the one that's already gotten pushback um, from you know from the political parties on you know not really in favor of something like that. Also, 
um, you know, the CPAs, the profession um, has come out and indicated this would just be something that's going to be difficult to uh, enforce, right? Having to essentially get valuations on net worth because um, not right. everything is, you know, readily available for right. valuation, right? So uh, that would be a difficult one that, you know, hopefully won't get too much traction <laughs> in terms of passing. Yeah, that's a crazy thought. Appraising everybody's assets every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and part of it would include, you know, obviously it's on your net worth, so that would include uh, taxing people on unrealized gains, right? And well, that's the way- that's a whole other topic in a way. Well, right, and the way they wrote it was like they're going to somehow keep track. You know, the tax you pay in this, there's going to be a portion related to certain assets, I guess, and then the portion related to your unrealized gains is going to be like a prepayment of towards taxes you would otherwise pay when you actually have a realized realization event later on when you sell the asset. I mean, just think of the the nightmare oh, of complexity well, of keeping track of all this stuff. Because the next year, let's say a stock market, you could have a good year last year and you could have a terrible year this year. Yeah. So what happens then? Do you get a check back from the IRS as a credit? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so, I'm glad you're in the tax business and I'm not. Wow. Bruce, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these things didn't pass, but one of the things that had people up in arms also was the IRS hiring tons of agents and the the thought that there was going to be increased audits and things like that. How did that come to fruition? Oh, well, they're outside your door right now, Joey. (laughs) So, yeah, the proposal was to allocate a lot more funding to the IRS. Um, I mean, to be fair, they didn't say it was all for additional audits. Some of it was for audits. The others were for um, IT advancement and taxpayer services. So that when you call, someone will actually pick up the phone and answer your questions. Um, So I know that the IRS has already increased headcount um, and they're aggressively doing so even as we speak. Now, how many of those people will actually, again, be for taxpayer services versus audit? We don't really know yet. Um, But yeah, I don't think that's a stretch. I think that is still their plan because historically speaking, every dollar they invest into IRS enforcement typically results in four to five dollars of tax revenue uh, at the IRS level. So, um, you know, it's it's a good use of funding from from their end. And of course, whenever someone gets a tax bill uh, from an IRS audit, usually the states will get a notification as well. So if you owe IRS money because you you know had a wrong transaction or reported something wrong, um, it's almost automatic that you know California, as an example, will send you a bill shortly thereafter. To <laughs> so they snitch on you? For their share. <laughs> yeah, I think they call it, I, I don't think they call it snitch. It's more just- um, You're watching too many, too many mafia movies, Joe. <laughs> is, it a commis- is it a commission arrangement? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think so. they don't get paid. It's, it's just some- no Some referral, share, sharing no, agreement. No point yeah. for that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. but I, th- I mean, it, it is help of government, right? Because when when the states get additional funding from taxpayers, that's less money that the you know the IRS or the Treasury has to allocate to the states for funding. So yeah, helps okay. both of them. <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Norris Group Real Estate Radio Show and Podcast. Please be sure to tune in next week as we are joined once again by Keystone CPA founders Amanda Hahn and Matt McFarland. See you then. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. 
The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.